I'm Grace, CEO and founder of Cultural Calculator, and this is The Culture Coach, where we share the wisdom and knowledge from the trailblazers who have broken new ground through their approach to leadership, team building, and ultimately creating cultural change for the better. Created and sponsored by Cultural Calculator. Tati. Hi, Grace. We are here. <laughs> we are here. And I don't know how to introduce you other than I'll start with Tati and I had a blissful time being housemates at one point. That's a big word. We're using it. Blissful. <laughs> We're using it. We're using it. We're using it. Blissful time. Interesting time. Interesting time. Mm-hmm. Um, a, tra- we a transitional time. A transitional a transition, time. Very different places in both of our lives. Very different places. Yeah. Cultural calculator didn't exist. Yeah. Tati was not famous yet. We'll come on to that. <laughs> Um, and we became very good friends. COVID hit. Mm-hmm. That happened. We were locked down, separated. We weren't living together by then. We weren't living together by then. And we also, like, during lockdown, the communication, it fell apart. Yeah, but I don't even... Yeah, I don't really judge that. No, I don't judge that. I think that happens for a lot of... I mean, come on, we all fell into a bubble. But even outside of lockdown, I think it's okay if you don't speak to people for an extended period of time and then you reconnect. I mean... Good friendships will. Oh, true, 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 true. It never changes with a good friendship. So, lockdown happened. Tati was secretly becoming famous. <laughs> You're using this as such a big word. It's not that. I just developed, I started doing online sketches and I built up an online following that doesn't translate to fame in the traditional sense. She is a famous stand up comedian now. <laughs> And I'm going to let you big that up because I feel like it's beneficial to your podcast, but I don't know that this is completely true, but we'll go with it. It's 100% true. And last time I saw her, I mean, you were a struggling actor. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can use... A struggling actor with a lot of different jobs, which we will dive into. Yeah. So unbeknownst... I'm supposed to interrupt you, am I? <laughs> yeah, this is, this is why. Sorry, sorry. Unbeknownst sorry. to me, she had become famous, but I just opened my front door to her one day and screamed, your hair's pink. And... <laughs> Can I just say, you had invited me round. <laughs> <laughs> she started stalking me. No, sorry, no. I had invited her round for a long overdue catch-up. Yeah. Her hair was pink yeah. and she had become famous stand-up comedian. So I'm going to pass over to Tati to introduce herself in a far more succinct way than I've just done. So yeah, my name's Tassie McLeod. I am a stand-up comedian. When I met Grace, I was an actor. So it's been a long journey into becoming a stand-up. I went to drama school. I went to university to something completely different, came out, didn't know what I wanted to do. Went to drama school, did an MA, came out, was like, I'm going to be an actor, didn't get any work, so I can't be a director. Did that for a bit, wrote some plays, directed some stuff, and then sort of found myself into stand-up. And I been doing that consistently since end of 2018 2019 and then obviously COVID hit and then I went online built a following up and that's and now I'm back doing stand-up and also do social media stuff as well so in between the two okay so when you say you built your following up online yeah how and what well look um come and see my show (laughs) is it too early for a plug no, it's never too early for a plug. Um, no, but there is a bit in my show where I talk about this. Uh, and it, it was quite funny because... So genuinely what happened was 2020, uh, you know, bad year, 
for everyone. And it feels so surreal thinking back on that time. But, you know, I just come back from New York and Chicago. Where I spent five weeks. I was doing stand up and some like comedy courses out there, really trying to like, hone my craft. I came back. I just moved in with my boyfriend at the time. In the time I was in the US, I realized I didn't want to be with him, came back, broke up, moved out of his in with my sister with the intention of being there for a couple of weeks before moving into my new place. And in that time, uh, I, I lost my job. I was working as a tour guide. I lost my job, couldn't afford to move anywhere else. So I ended up spending most of that lockdown with, with my sister, her husband, and, and my two young nieces. So it was a big like shift in life. I met someone and and at this point I think I got I got you know a random job in a law firm. I met someone, I started dating him and I began to think to myself, well maybe you know my life, you know maybe all this performative stuff is just too much work. You know there's something quite nice about having a 9 to 5 and like knowing what your hours of work are and having your evenings free and being able to budget and take holiday, take paid paid holiday paid holiday, like this mad luxury, you know, paying towards a pension. So I started to get myself in this headspace. And then we broke up end of 2020. And then I thought, well, fuck him. Um, and I've got all this spare time that I'm not spending with him. What am I going to do with it? And I decided to start making online comedy videos. Two reasons. One, because I had the time. Two, it was a creative outlet. And then three, if I'm being really honest, just because I was like, well, fuck you. <laughs> I'm going to, yeah, well, you're going to see my face on social media. <laughs> well, he is now. Um, and then, and then it's just got way out of hand. And, and three years later, here I am, <laughs> you know, so it was a bit of revenge reeling, which has really spiraled. But this is something where, you know, one of the things that I actually wanted to ask you about being people talk a lot about being a solo founder and I know you're in a very different world you're in the creative industry but actually Tati has given some of the best pep talks ever when it comes to having to push through those moments of I guess like on the one hand it's like patience but like the tenacity to not give up. And one of my lovely friends, I will not name her, was having a a mini, a mini, a mini doubting, I don't know, a doubting spiral. Was this one in, was this in Paris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, this was like 18 months in or something. And Tati looked at her and she was basically said, over to you. Is it the one I'm, where, where, uh, where, and what did I say to her? <laughs> Daddy's like, I don't even know. You basically said, like, how many how many years did it take to get to where you are now, where you've got yeah, like a hundred? I remember, it was, if it's the person who I'm thinking of, it was wild because actually her business was doing really well. She yeah. was turning over like a really big income and not quite a profit yet, but she was turning over a substantial income. And I think she'd been doing it for 18 months. Yeah. And I was like, how dare you? So like, that's wild. Yeah, you know, I mean, I started being a performer in 20... In earnest, uh, when I went to drama school, I think I came out 2015, maybe. I'm now 34. The first time I started making enough money to live off my craft was 2021. September 2021, I quit my job. And that was the first time that I didn't have a secondary job supporting me being a performer. So uh, let's say that I left drama school in 2015. That was six years of... Um, 
you know, working odd jobs, doing other bits, trying to support myself while whilst being a performer. So the idea that after 18 months, you're already earning like, you know, a really decent income from this, but you've got self-doubt was just like, well, you, you're already there. How, but how did you personally like keep your mind afloat? Because six, seven years is you know, like it's a long amount of time to feel like you don't have that certainty yet of this is definitely going to pay off. Like, how did you navigate that for yourself? I think, um, I think you've got to like reframe it for yourself. So in the beginning, you want it to sort of fly and you go into it. I think it's the same whether or not you've got starting a business or whether you're a performer. You hope that you're going to be one of the lucky ones where it just kind of you catapult out the door and it just sort of flies. You know, we all want to be that person. And then when it doesn't, you have to start reframing it. You sort of go, okay, well, that's obviously not the pathway that I'm on to. We're into this. It's been 24 months and I've still got my um, you know, minimum wage job. I'm working this many hours plus this many extra hours on trying to build up that business. Like where's the payoff here? And I think you've got to start thinking about it much more as a marathon. And I know people say it, but as a marathon and not as a race, and you have to start enjoying the journey. Like that would be the biggest tip that I would give myself. If I was looking back on it, I would say, don't think to yourself, you're going to get some random side job that you hate because in 12 months, you're already going to be, you know, walking the boards at the national. Don't think that get a job in a production company, get a side job, which you don't hate, which you can also build up that you can take pride in and that you can enjoy because it might take you 10 years before you get there. So don't give yourself a horrible journey because I think that when you give yourself the horrible journey, you're more likely to give up on it because that the hustle of the minimum wage job, which is exhausting, which is not paying your rent, and then also the rejection you're getting constantly through whatever business you're trying to build or through being a performer, on both sides you're failing. So I look at it much more now as like a longer, a longer journey. And ultimately, it I think every time, every year that goes on where you haven't succeeded, you're stripping back to the core of why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? What is this really about? Why am I here? And you get to a place that's like very deep of like, well, I just can't do anything else. And I just love this. And I, I just, this, this is it. This is it. And it, and, and what happens through the process of those years after drama school is that people go, no, I can't bear this for the mental health implications, for the exhaustion. And then you, the, the few that sort of straggle on, um, you know, at the core of it, you've got people who are just completely obsessed with the work and sort of like come what may have just decided that they're going to keep at it and, and hopefully something's going to give. That's so true about the stripping back to the core because it's it's kind of crazy when you think about, I don't know, I guess the path that you're choosing and how it really isn't fun for mm. a long, long time. And it's not just like, oh, it's not fun in terms of being in the abyss of like that uncertainty. It's also like your personal life is in many ways on hold. Like you can't afford to necessarily do the things your friends are doing. Like you feel like you're not, your life isn't progressing in, in line with that societal measuring stick of where it should, should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I've definitely, like that resonates with me so much. Like I've had those moments where like a parent or someone has been like, are you sure this is like, you know, you don't just want to go get a high paid job somewhere else. And it's like those moments where you're like, well, no. So I guess I've just got to keep on suffering on. Well, you've got to have so much conviction in what you're doing. And that's really hard when you're on your own pushing it forward. It's like, this doesn't exist outside of myself. I'm making this happen. You're someone who's intelligent. You're ambitious. You've got capacities. Uh, I was picking up these random jobs and, you know, I might do like temping somewhere and then I'd be offered a full-time job. And you're starting to think, am I wasting myself? I'm Most of my time is spent being a waitress. And it's no negativity to being a waiter, you know, I think also that's something that I've learned by having lots of odd jobs, not wanting to come into the conversation being like, oh, that's a crappy job. Being a waiter is a very lovely job if that's what you want to do. But it's being conscious of the fact that that isn't something that I enjoy doing. And so you're sort of spending most of your time doing something you don't want to do when you could be doing things that you find really interesting because you've got that skill set, but you're sacrificing that in this like greater ambition. And I think the only thing that does definitely happen, I notice, is that I don't want to use the word desperation, but you definitely get to a place where it's sort of like, uh, I, I just got more shameless you know, actually making online videos and putting them out there and getting up on stage. It's like, you're constantly just being like, it's like pulling a plaster off. Well, I'm just going to have to do it. I've just got to do it. I'm just going to have to put myself in that really uncomfortable position because actually I need to move this forward. And the longer it goes on, what hasn't moved forward, the more you sort of have to think laterally and go, right, where can I grow? Where can I take this? You know, you you might not want to send that email to that random person, but you get to a point where you're like, well, I need to try something. I'm going to have to send it. And I think it kind of pushes you forward. But another thing, you know, when you're talking about that sense of like, you know, people are moving a certain way and you're not. Yeah. And I think that's also where like not having wealth behind you becomes like a really big part of the conversation for anyone who goes into being an entrepreneur or like a solo how did you call it? A solo founder, a solo founder, because you're someone who you've got to have real conviction in what you're doing because it's actually like embarrassing. You know, you're 32, you're broke, you're meeting people like, you know, dating people, you're going to dinner parties, everyone's super affluent or they've got really good jobs. They're really farther in your, in their career than you are. Uh, you know, you can't afford to go on these holidays that other people are going on. There's nothing to fall back on. You're thinking to yourself, how am I going to afford to have a family? Um, you know, so there's so you, you're beginning to see all the sacrifices that you're making and to have, to keep your sense of status, And like, I have value, my value, you know, sometimes you're working in some crappy job that you hate and you're sat there being like, oh my God, is it, is this, you know, is this me? Is this me? And you have to like elevate yourself beyond that. And I am not, this is not, I am working towards and constantly like reframe that goal and really stay with the conviction on it. But also it just shows how much like that societal measuring stick does unconsciously put some kind of internal pressure because the reality of life right is like we're all on our own journey like there is no one way of going about anything but it's just so interesting like I think of myself as someone that's like 
liberal in the way I think about things. And yet even me, like I can notice that sort of voice, like can sometimes creep in in those low moments. And you have to really like bat it away and remind yourself that actually like that's just a construct. It's not, it's not real. It's not an actual. Yeah. But there's, but then there's levels to that because you've got the level of how successful I feel like I should be given my age and you know, looking around me, what people are doing. And then you've also just got the basic level of the comfort of living. Like, how am I living? And I think that like that higher level never goes away. You know, that sense of what am I achieving in relation to my peers? And that is very much a construct. And it is something which you've got to be wary of because, you know, ambition is important, but it, it can push you into a place of just ambition for ambition's sake. And you're moving away from like the joy in the work and the creativity doesn't flow when you're just doing stuff for ambition's sake. But from that place of being able just to afford to live and to live comfortably. And when I say comfortably, I mean, you're not worrying constantly about how you're going to pay your rent and what your next paycheck is. And can you afford to go on holiday even just like once a year? And what does this mean in the long term? I don't even have a pension and things like that. And, and, and genuinely like, can I ever afford to have children? How is that going to work? Making choices about the kind of partners you think you should be with because you should be compensating for the fact that you don't earn it. Like these are the kind of choices that people who are in careers which come with a sense of financial frailty start making. And those are not necessarily the choices that you would make for yourself if you were in like a comfortable financial situation. So that's what I mean about kind of, um, you know, that those are the challenges that, 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 that come with it as well. But there's also something that I feel like you touched on earlier where there's also, this is where it gets a bit, a bit woo woo guys, (laughs) but it's like how life can come in. Like, do you know what I mean? Where it's like, you can be at a really low point and then like I've noticed in like the journey of cultural calculator like this has been three years now I can recall like where I have got to those moments of being like maybe like this just isn't going to go where I want it to and it's been at, at those moments where like you know a new customer walks through the door or like something happens where it feels like whoa that's so serendipitous that just as I'm like on the edge of like really like Mm -hmm. something comes in to be like no like keep going Mm -hmm. um and there's a kind of flow to that as well I feel yeah I think that's definitely true and I think ultimately if you keep putting out work and possibilities because that's been my approach in terms of my work has always been you've got to do the work just do the work you know As a performer, there was a lot of focus when I was at drama school on write to agents, write to casting directors, write to people, try and get casting stuff. And actually, I found that what was more successful was actually to make things, make work, build yourself a profile, and then people come to you. So that's always been my focus. Doing is the thing. Work is the thing. Um, But at the same time... I would say like in in response to that, I, I also do think it's really okay for people to give up. And I, I, I don't know, I feel like that's like a really untrendy thing to say. Maybe it's a bit different in business. I don't know. But certainly I would say from performance uh, perform, performance perspective, whether you're an actor or musician or whatever, 
I think it's okay at some point to be like, do you know what? Is this making me happy? And you've got to ask yourself, if you're on this journey for 10 years and you check in with yourself and you go, it's been 10 years in this shitty side job that I don't like, that isn't making me happy. I'm living somewhere I don't want to live because the rent's super cheap. I'm, I'm, I'm sacrificing my friend's weddings, my, my, my family's wedding. All of this in, so that I can get a, a two lines in an advert, like it's not working you know, it's not working. So also not to be like a slave to the dream or feel like it's a failure to go, this isn't making me happy. Um, I, I don't want to do this anymore. So I also encourage people to do that. That is so true. And I think it goes back to what you're saying earlier about getting down to the core, yeah. you know, like getting down to the core of yourself. And if like the core is actually saying like, I really don't want this anymore versus when the core is saying, I have no choice but to do this because this is a hundred percent what I want. Yeah. And it's like, I guess it's knowing yourself enough to be able to discriminate, like what is a idea I'm trying to push or a truth I'm trying to resist Yes. versus the core. Yeah. Because actually the reality of the work is the experience you're having of it. So in the mind, there's an image of what it is, but the reality of it is, even when you have a super successful business, the reality of it is you're behind your desk, you're writing emails, you do work you don't want to do. Um, you know, it's, it's, the, it, it's not, if you're not in a place of like, God, I'm obsessed with this and I absolutely love it and I want to keep doing it and there's going to be crap bits and there's going to be great bits, it, it's not going to work. And that's because that's the reality of it. The reality of it is it is a journey and it's not always, you know, it's not always brilliant. So I think, yeah, exactly to say, you've got to always check in with yourself and, and go back to the core of it and clocking as to whether or not you're persevering with something because you've got an idea of what that is. And because you're afraid to say, yeah, I've dedicated 10 years to this and actually it's not for me. I don't want to be a failure. So therefore I'm persevering in it. Or if it's actually that, you, maybe actually that reality of what that job is, isn't what you thought it was. And now that you've experienced it, you don't want to do it. So my mum uses this model where it's like omnipotence at one end, like that belief of I can do anything and everything. And often when people go with like an omnipotent fantasy of themselves, there's a huge fall that has to happen to impotence where it's like the other end of the spectrum, like this feeling of like, I can't do anything. Like both are extreme. Like I can do everything or impotence. I can't do anything. And she uses this uses this model to get people to think about what is a relatively potent idea, i.e. the middle line in between the two that works creatively with the the constraints and the limitations of reality. So it's being creative and open to possibilities whilst not denying the, the restraints and limitations that exist. Yeah. And, but, but they see that, I think that's a really, it's a really interesting idea as well, because you know, you do have to be quote unquote delusional to go into the world of a performer and think that you're going to make it. And that delusionality or delusional aspect of yourself is actually really important. And people talk about it a lot. I mean, I think I was listening to Karen Millen talk about founding 
uh, well, Karen Millen back in the day. And very much, you know, she was like, to be honest with you, youth was entirely on our side because we were completely naive. We didn't have a clue. If we had a clue, I'm not sure we would have made the choices that we made. That is also so true. We took such risks yeah. uh, that we wouldn't take if we'd been properly informed or educated or known about, you know, so that that sort of delu that delusional aspect is really important in just having the faith that you can do it because if you're looking at it on paper you're absolutely not going to succeed yeah yeah it's the same with like yeah being a performer starting a business exactly the same like I was so naive in terms of, I, I thought, you know, that whole catapult out the yeah. window dream. Yeah. I was like, oh yeah, within a year, I'm going to be making tons of money and just rolling around in it and yeah. doing the thing I love the most. Yeah. And it's just not the case. Like no. even like how you said, oh, I had to get to the point where I was willing to be a bit shameless with like sending that email I don't want to send. Like that was such a process for me as well. Like I remember someone saying to me, you need to be the voice of culture. You need to be writing everything, posting everything. And I was like, I don't even have social media myself. Like I have a fear of posting anything. Like I get anxiety about posting anything. And it took me until, yeah, I guess like two and a half years to finally be like, fuck's sake, I've really got to get over that one. Yeah, you've got to put yourself out there. A hundred percent. put yourself out there. Before you became famous stand-up comedian, <laughs> um, one of your jobs yeah. was actually working for a consultancy and yeah. going in and, well, you'll be able to explain it better than me, but doing like improv acting and acting skills in general to actually support people in the workplace in terms of how they manage situations, how they open up to innovation. And this is quite relevant for the type of stuff we normally talk about on here. So if you could uh, give us a little whistle-stop tour of that and anything that you think, I guess, are the key takeaways of like what the purpose of that kind of work is. And I know you still do some of it. Yes, I do. I do still do some of it. I like to keep you know, that, that side of work going. Um, so I got into it because actually I think there is a big crossover of people who have come from a performance background, whether that be improv or acting and the world of coaching and leadership development. So there's lots of people who are ex-performers or still sometimes performers who are also, um, who are also coaches. And that's how I kind of, that's how I got into it. So I started doing some training with a company in London and I met lots of people through that and um yeah I mean you know there's so many different ways in which you can sort of use your acting background if we just talk about pure acting um a lot of the work that I would be doing in relation to to uh sort of working with businesses and linking acting would be to um do role play so it's quite it's quite simple but it's incredibly effective in terms of getting people just to play out situations, difficult situations, difficult people they're working with or scenarios which make them feel very uncomfortable. And then I would be given a breakdown of who is this person? What's their character? How do they behave? What are their characteristics? And then you would come into a space with them and bring that bring that individual to life so we can have a real life sort of practice of how they're going to manage that that difficult conversation so that's one level of how performance work um, is is helpful in in that context and then also using improv which which 
it's a different skill to acting, um, but improv is something which is all on off the cuff. You're inventing as you go along, and it's really, really, really helpful to develop um, uh, sort of uh, a good uh, group dynamic and um, what would you call it, sort of a more supportive work envi environment because the fundamentals to improv is yes and. It's this idea of you say something, I build on it. Then I say something, you build on it. And we're constantly building on each other's ideas. The only valid idea is the one that's just been spoken in the room. You chuck away the last thing. Don't come into the space with your own agenda. I mean, these are all things that if you're talking about uh, a business in which you want to uh, sort of like create an environment of innovation and sort of like I don't want to say blue sky thinking because ick, that word has been used too much, but that kind of innovative open-mindedness, um, that kind of uh, lateral thinking, uh, improv is, is really good for it. So those are the two ways in which I sort of bring those skills to the table. Okay, now let's do a yes and situation because you're kind of explaining this that basically, I guess it's very easy in any kind of team actually to sort of clamp down or narrow in on their being like this is my idea this is what we need to do versus a mindset of being more open-minded and I guess that's what that phrase yes and brings is that yes. building you spoke about yeah which interestingly our friend Faye yeah. shout out who's a primary school teacher they do the exact same thing in classrooms imagine, now that yeah. when a kid puts a hand up says something they're like yes and and get all the kids oh God, to the French word of me dying it's like but also some things shouldn't be yes and it <laughs> no true. you can't pick your nose I mean not that they ask permission for that but Yes. So the way that yes and works, I mean, if I was doing it in the context of a corporate environment and you're doing like games and play, you wouldn't, you'd play it out a bit differently, but you know, you need, you know, you need a whole setup for that. But if we were just doing it in, like, let's do it, the two of us, it will be, um, I don't know, let's start with a scenario. We take a location. Alvin, can we have a location? Mauritius. Mauritius. Okay. But where are Mauritius? So like, you know, a place, um, Sorry? Pot, I mean, Paul-Louis, lovely. Um, and and what are we doing? Okay, we're in Paul-Louis shopping in the market. So I would open with, let's get some bananas. And yes. you say, yes, and? Yes, and a pineapple. Yes, and a mango. Yes, and why can't we think of anything except fruit right now? We've only done two things. Sorry. <laughs> yes, and... Uh, bikini for the beach yes and we can get a volleyball to play on the beach with yes and some beach bat and ball yes and we can have a beach bat and ball competition yes and some flippers okay so i'll just pause there think about what i just said yes and we can have a beach and volleyball competition and you've just gone yes and some flippers <laughs> How does that link into what I've just said? Do you know what I've done? What and this done? is what happens. This is what happens in workplaces. I, my mind has already thought of something before listening to what you had said. And I didn't build on what you said. I went with the idea that I had before you said And that's what we're trying to stop happening in rooms. Okay, fine. Wow, that's so wild as well how that happens. Yes, so quickly. Because we're nervous. 
So you've got to think come ahead. To me. It's yeah. going to come to me. I need to have something. I'm in a meeting. I'm going to be asked to speak. I need to have an idea. Okay, this is my idea, right? When's it going to come to me? When's it going to come to me? We're not listening. We're not listening. We're not listening. We're not listening. It comes to me. We've missed opportunities. We've missed new ideas. We've missed mind melds of, oh, well, that triggers something. Oh, well, let's build on that. And instead we're in our lanes because we're so afraid of saying something that's going to make us look stupid. Tatty. Stop it, Grace. <laughs> um, okay, now I also want us to use some time to talk about you, where you're going with with what's next for Tati. And yeah, I guess your intentions behind that as well. But not linking into leadership development stuff. Do you feel the need to, do I, we need to link it back to like think, being an entrepreneur? I don't think it has to link back both because I think you are an entrepreneur and so like this Oh, is, I definitely do is, consider myself an entrepreneur. You, exactly. And yeah, I feel yeah. like this is like your next step on that journey that we we're yeah. referencing earlier. I would actually say that I think that increasingly creatives are having to become entrepreneurs because when I think of an entrepreneur, and I'm not saying this disparagingly, but I think of entrepreneurs as being people who there's a bigger focus on financial you know, it's sort of like the marker of the success is whether or not the business is financially doing well. And I think what's complicated about being a creative is that you can have great creative success and not make any money. And so they're on slightly different lanes, but increasingly creatives are having to become entrepreneurs because there's very little funding, grants. It's very difficult to live a frugal life just because the cost of living is so high that if you are a creative, you're having to develop a business brain. You have to, you have to build a brand. You have to be on social media. You have to be putting up clips of yourself, letting your, your putting your brand out there. You have to figure out how to make money because no one is gonna pay you a lot of money to do what you want to do. It's very difficult to make a living out of it. So that I think is a newer phenomenon. I don't think it was the case 20 years ago when you were a creative. I think you could be much more pure in your artistry than than these days. That's so, so true. And like, and I guess ultimately, right, you say, you know, entrepreneurs more focused on the financials, but ultimately their entrepreneurs have to be focused on the customer. And for you, a customer is your audience mm -hmm. and it's like how do you create something that people want to engage with that people want to keep coming back to and engage more and more new people and that is really such a parallel with what anyone's trying to do with any business is how can I engage more and more and more people with this and yeah ultimately that eventually hopefully makes money if it's yeah but it's interesting because yeah. I think the two worlds the creative world and the entrepreneur world in some ways it's like they complement each other or they can feed into each other and actually learn from each other so where in the world of creativity and and being being a performer uh you're really your 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 driver is the craft is the artistry and that's sort of like what's going to keep you going and in the entrepreneur world there's like a drive more to sort of like margins profits build growth um how are we doing and i think that sometimes in that world it's important to go back to why did we found this business what's at the heart of it why was i passionate about this to begin with let's not lose that in favor of like hitting bigger 
bigger profit margins. And in this world, it's important to remember that, yes, you've got this creative thing that's driving you, but you need to sometimes compromise that in favor of, I need to also make a living out of this and pay bills and afford myself a life outside of this, which gives me comfort so that I can continue to live as a creative. So I think those two worlds in, in some ways can definitely complement each other. But it's interesting because with the the world of entrepreneurship and making profit and blah, 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 actually like you can also really see when businesses get distracted where they end up being led by short-term financials rather than longer term success and And they lose themselves this is a small cultural calculator plug but there was a harvard business school did a study over an 11 year period and we're comparing businesses that had very weak um company cultures versus strong performing company cultures and they found that in the 11 year period those businesses that were categorized as having a weak culture um grew their revenue by one percent in 11 years versus with strong cultures 756 percent oh my god that's That's so huge difference but it makes sense for two reasons one i mean this idea of like a business having a strong culture both internally the thing about it is that if you have a passion at the heart of your business and you don't disconnect from that in favor of profit margins, then what you're really talking about, I think ultimately what it comes down to, and it's the same with a performer, is authenticity. It's about this feeling of this is authentic. The the drive behind this is it's it's all of it, it's authentic. We're we're passionate, we're driven, we're gonna compromise on you know, cost, we're going to compromise on this, 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 and this. We're going to make some compromises because we're going to put back at the heart of it, what is this business about and why are we doing it? And that is a very, that is a very strong driver for anyone and for anything, whether it's your workforce, customers recognize it, they see it, and they don't like to be lied to. So if you started with that and then it's watered down, and then you find out that as a business actually behind closed doors, you're not functioning in consistency with what your brand ethos is outside of the office, they feel cheated on. So you're actually going to lose, you're going to lose customers that That way. That is so true because you're right. Like that passion and authenticity, it is palpable when you, when you can feel it off someone. And the thing that honestly, like it's a bit of a bugbear at the moment, drives me a bit bananas is when you see, you, you meet founders who really do embody what they're doing and you can feel it like you're like wow the business you've created is so infused with the essence of you and how you live your life versus when it's like I don't know you see things where oh well-being is a big trend someone that has literally nothing to do with that but it's like been like I can make loads of money out do you know what I mean like and it does it does taste and feel different and I think it's really interesting because I have spoken to people who have thought about who want to start a business and it doesn't really matter who it is my starter conversation is do you love it Uh, do you no no but do you love this because it's going to take you years and you're going to be broke and it's going to be shit and it's going to be really hard so the bottom line is you've got to be fucking passionate about this because I remember years ago before I went to drama school I decided to open a crepe stand I started selling crepes on a market in North Yorkshire oh my favorite food okay but these are crepes so don't (laughs) don't insult the Bretons because you know there's definitely a difference but yes so I started doing it and I thought it would be a quick buck because you know no one was on the market so I thought they're quite trendy 
I started doing it. I did it over two months. By the end of the summer, I think I just about made my cost back and maybe a bit of profit on the initial outlay for, you know, the sort of the tarpaulin, the 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 crepe making machines, the gas, whatever, the, the cost of running the business. And I thought, okay, I can see how you could now start to turn a profit. But did I enjoy getting up at six o'clock in the morning to make the batter? Did I enjoy rocking up to the different markets and pitching up? No, I didn't. And I thought... I'm not passionate about this and therefore it's not going to be a successful business. You have to be so passionate about what you're doing, whether you're a performer, whether you're a business builder, founder, entrepreneur, because ultimately that is going to sustain you through those inevitable periods of of challenge. I think if you can't work in the business you're starting, don't do it. I'm not interested in people who say, I'm going to start a cleaning business. Are you ready to clean? No, well then don't do it because you're going to have to get, you're going to have to clean. Mm. And then you get a whole separate category of people who are just investors. They have a lot of money. They find people who are passionate and then they put money into that business. And if you've got the funds to do that, good for you. (laughs) But that's a different kind of thing entirely. If you're going to be the person who is making that business happen, it has to start from a place of, I desperately want to see this happen. I have vision. I know what it's going to look like. I can see it. I can manifest it. And then come from that place. Not, I see a gap in the market for vegan ice cream. I'm going to buy a machine. I'm going to start making vegan ice cream. And then I'm going to sell it. Because if you are not passionate about vegan ice cream, that I just don't think that business is going to take off. You're so right. Because actually what you're talking about This is where I'm going with what you're talking about. It's making me realize the difference between an intellectual activity or an intellectual, in inverted commas, good idea versus when you're really being led by your heart. And I think almost the effortlessness of the creativity that when you are really aligning with what your heart wants to do, just how that becomes a creative outlet. Like my most effortless and natural moments with culture calculator have been when it comes to designing my platform and product like I don't it doesn't feel like I'm thinking about it it's like something flows out of me and there is so much out there about never build anything before you've tested xyz with customers well I did and Mm. my customers loved it but I don't know whether I would have got there for an intellectual activity. I just had a vision for what I wanted to provide people with. And that didn't come from a head place. It came from what I really, really, really wanted to do. Yeah, you had a gut, you had a gut on it. And you, yeah, I mean, I think um, you've got to be wary of people saying this is the process that you have to go through in order to achieve that. Um, And yeah, there's always going to be a lot of why this, why now? And having to answer those questions about, you know, why this? Why now? Why am I, be, you know, if you're making a pitch for like an investor, you need to, you know, be mindful of all of those things. But in a way, you can find the justifications for it. And I'm not saying there aren't people who are driven by success itself. You know, you hear about these entrepreneurs who have done a million different versions of a business and they just keep picking up a business and then building it. And, you know, and so in a way, the passion there, the drive is success, making money. Um, Maybe there's something quite 
ego or, or whatever that works for them and like great you know you're going to have those people as well and I think it's good to know what your profile is and what kind of person you are there are people in the creative world who are terrible stand-up comedians who aren't funny who are not naturally funny but who have said to themselves I really want to do this I'm going to learn how to format a joke I'm going to understand how to make a set and then they go off they work really hard they make it happen you know but I think that if you're building a business and you're starting from a place of this is what I'm really passionate about for you I want to help businesses I want to help them figure out what they're about and give and give the work for force a voice that's something which is so much more powerful than saying what can I do that's going to make me money where is there a gap in the market and how can I fill it you know it's just the value of that is 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 very different and coming from a place of this is something that I'm really passionate about is going to sustain you for much longer than thinking how can I make money and it also it's not it's like doing anything that passion like even having a relationship it's like life is hard <laughs> like life you're gonna have times where it's like this is not fun no matter what it is you're doing a relationship a business a performance any of it and actually it is that love of whatever it is that you are pursuing yeah but that, I find it this funny because I'm there thinking yeah but also sometimes don't go out with the person you're most passionate about <laughs> that isn't always the best relationship <laughs> I love how this is now turning into a dating show <laughs> um but okay so back to you now yes like what is it you feel really passionate about for the next chapter of Tati's journey well, it's interesting, you know, because I think I definitely am constantly realigning myself on the creative pathway and trying to remember that because when you have spent so long just trying to make a living as a performer, it inevitably ends up feeling really fragile. And so a lot of me is like, oh my God, people are paying me for this, right? Okay. And I'm getting to a place where I'm having to remember, okay, but you need to compromise the finance now, say no to work in order to realign yourself creatively with what excites you? How do you want to build yourself creatively? So that's definitely a journey that I'm on about thinking to myself, what is it that I want to do that's going to grow me as a performer? And in terms of myself, my work right now, I'm building a one hour show, which is my, my debut hour, which I'm taking up to Edinburgh Fringe and then I'm taking on tour. So that's been a really interesting process, you know, writing an hour of a show, bits of stand-up that I've already done, putting it together, trying to find, you know, that's been a whole other, a new challenge. Um, and that's the thing when you get into being a performer, you think, oh, you know, once I get an agent, I'll be sorted. You get an agent, I need a better agent. You get a better agent. Then you're like, I'm not getting the auditions. Though. And then you get the auditions you want and then you're not getting the jobs. And, you know, and there's just a constant, the levels all the time of like the next challenge, the next challenge, the next challenge. They sort of, they never stop. But so I'm building this one hour show, taking it to Edinburgh uh, at the Monkey Barrel, 10 past two, if anyone's going up to Edinburgh this summer. And then I'm going to, um, like I said, take it on tour in the UK and in Europe. And then I am working, fingers crossed, if I can fucking get it written on a book proposal. <laughs> I really hope my literary agent doesn't see this because I've been owing her an email. <laughs> but yeah, the email's coming. The email's coming. The email's coming, Jess. Um, Don't worry. And the book proposal on? 
on what it feels like. It's a coming of age story, but a coming of age story of someone, of a, an English girl growing up in France, navigating not just becoming an adult, but also becoming an adult in a country where you are in a very English family in a completely different culture. And then equally becoming an adult woman and then moving to the UK and realizing just how French you are. So it's, you know, that story of that we all have a sort of like going from a girl to being a woman, but with the additional challenge of of doing it in a, a different language, a different landscape, a new environment between cultures, you know, how does that affect your sense of identity? Um, yeah, and your sense of belonging. Um, Tati, the thing I love about you and what you just described is how I just know that whole levels thing of the next challenge, next challenge, next challenge. I'm just so excited to see where you go. And again, it's like, it's another thing where it's such a parallel with building any kind of business because you think, oh, if I just have, you know, if I just manage to sell this, then I'll feel validated about that. But what you realize is like, as you grow your business, the challenges just become bigger and different. There's always mm. like the next hurdle of what, what's the next big thing and what's the next big thing. And like your tenacity, I find so inspiring for me personally to, to keep pushing myself in that direction. Cause I know it's something you really do, mm. but, um, we end every episode with three questions we ask each oh. guest. Normally there's kind of a perfect segue into this. This might feel a bit random for you, <laughs> but let's just go with it anyways. Um, so the first question is, what do you think makes a toxic culture? I think, I think an environment in which you don't feel like you can openly speak out where you can't express yourself for fear of repercussions, fear of uh, not being promoted, losing your job, um, being discriminated against. I think that work environments should be, and I think this is a, a quite a UK issue, be more comfortable with difficult conversations. You should be able to push back on things or have a difficult conversation with your boss about, you know, you asked me to do this and I didn't want to do that and I don't think it's appropriate or I don't want to work on that project or I don't, um, you know, I, I don't want to work late on that day or whatever that is without feeling like your job's at risk, without feeling um, scared that, you know, if I insist on working from home for four days a week because I'm feeling a bit down at the moment or I need to put up bigger boundaries I think that that's really toxic. I think when you can have a work environment where your staff feel comfortable coming to you and saying something which is a bit difficult, that's a really positive thing. Love that. Let's flip it on its head. Okay. <laughs> what do you think makes a great culture? Well, in a way, sort of like the comp the the side of that, which I've always really enjoyed working with people at the risk of people being more blunt and direct. I've always enjoyed working with people where, uh, ev everything is put out there where you can be in meetings in the morning. You know, I, uh, I remember working with someone who was known to be quite, uh, uh sort of like 
driven, quite, it could be quite tough. And other people didn't like working with her because it was all a bit intense. But what I found very easy to, the way in which I found it was easy to work with her was because as much as she could be quite forceful in what she wanted, she was also okay if you were forceful back. Mm -hmm. And I think that is the balance. So you're allowed to ask a lot from people, but you also have to hear it when they say no. Yeah. And as long as you've got space for the no, it's fine. So I think having that kind of uh, a transparent work environment, Mm -hmm. we'd be in meetings sometimes and she would say, well, why haven't these emails been responded to? We need to get back to these clients. And I would say, well, we haven't got the capacity. We haven't got the capacity to do that. So everyone's working the best that they can right now, but we haven't got the capacity. So either you need to take on another member of staff or you need to accept that this is the the the, the pace at which it's going to happen. Being able to say that and for that person to go, okay, fine. Yeah. Like, I think that's a positive work environment. And you're so right because I when I think of the most direct people I know, like... 95% of the time they appreciate directness back absolutely and if anything respect you more for it yeah a hundred percent okay so the final question is what is the ultimate tip you could offer for creating cultural change for the better speak up that's it yeah speak up it's really wild the amount of people who don't speak up yeah, I found myself in green rooms of comedians who have said things which are unacceptable. I have been the only comedian who said, you know, that's not an appropriate thing to say. That's not acceptable. Don't say that. That comes with not being afraid of confrontation as well. Yeah. And having a work environment in which you feel able to speak up, but speaking up, saying no. That didn't make me feel comfortable. That's not okay. You shouldn't have said that. I didn't like the way that you were talking to so-and-so this morning. Or that wasn't a very nice thing to say. Just whatever it is on any kind of level, whether it's in the kitchen or it's in a boardroom. And especially to women, speak up. Oh my God, please. You know, it's really, you know, it makes me sad going into leadership development workshops and just the quality of the voice of women sometimes small. And then you have men, you know, I don't want to make sweeping, you know, generalizations, but sometimes you find men with so much less to say, who have no fear of speaking and women who have real valuable input to give, but who just, you know, don't have the confidence to speak up. And yeah, if there was one tip that I'd say just Say it, speak up, don't be afraid to use your voice and 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 say what's on your mind. I love that about you because you definitely are someone that does speak up. <laughs> I know that from personal experience. Um, but also it's something that that is so needed. And as someone that like I find it scary, like, you know, we just did the whole freaking scenario of getting me to speak up. Like I do find it scary, but knowing that that is the better option. That is the better thing to do. And even if you are someone that's scared of it, having the courage to let yourself feel afraid and do it, feel the fear and do it anyways. Mm. Um, But you are so courageous. I don't even think you realize it because you just are. And it's been such a pleasure having you. It's been lovely. Thanks for having me, Grace. 